Welcome to Martial Wisdom. Here you can listen to conversations on all kinds of topics related to martial arts. In today's episode, we're going to talk about the fence, a concept made famous by Jeff Thompson. Joining me in this fascinating discussion is Matt State. Before we get started, please consider supporting this podcast by liking and sharing it. I'm also thrilled to announce that our Spirit Aikido online program now has over 215 videos. In some of the more recent videos, I cover defenses for headlocks and guillotines and ways to work these into your live training with Aikido. Another option is to contribute any amount you like through the PayPal tip jar. Even small contributions are greatly appreciated. I hope you enjoy this episode. Now, on with the discussion. I'm happy to welcome back Matt State to the podcast, and we've got a great topic today. Uh, We're going to talk about Jeff Thompson's uh, fence, uh, which is a lot of martial artists know of it. If you, if you have not heard of it, uh, we'll certainly describe it. It's a way of keeping your hands in between you and somebody who you are concerned may be an attacker or maybe an assailant. Um, so welcome back, Matt. And uh, I wanted to say that I really loved the short video that you did talking about the fence. That's why I wanted to bring you to the show that we can dig into it in, in more detail. Yeah, hi, it's great to be back. Thanks for having me back. I always enjoy our chats. And, um, and this is a great subject to sort of dig into and have a little fiddle around with yeah absolutely um and, and to describe it for for people that have not heard it although it's a, you know if you haven't you've probably been under a rock somewhere because i think jeff thompson has made a great tremendous impact in, in the martial arts world and in the self-defense world and security world with this concept of the fence of bringing your hands up so that you have something as kind of a, a, of a barrier a physical barrier that allows you some space to keep somebody from being right in your face. <clears throat> and so you could boil it down to keep your hands up, which I'm sure every boxer, every fighter has been told by a coach or by somebody, by an, you know mentor instructor, say, don't let your hands stay down, keep them up. Uh, but doing it in such a way that it doesn't look like you're in a fighting guard or in a fighting stance, but having your hands up and relaxed where they're quick to, to get them where you need to, to, to cover yourself or block or grab or, or make contact. So that's pretty much what the fence is, uh, just, I guess, as a condensed description. Uh, but Matt, you had some really good points in the, in the video you just <clears throat> put up. So maybe you could, you could go into those a little bit, and that, that'll be our starting point for discussing the fence. Yeah, sure. I think, um, I think, this is, I think we need to go a little bit uh, further back than that first, if that's okay, just to yeah, sort absolutely. of what speed. So um, the fence itself, probably the easiest way to describe that, is a fighting stance, but it's a, a fighting stance designed to be um, non-aggressive or not show aggression, but it's designed to try and keep the person safe. Kind of a disguised um, fighting stance. Fighting yeah, yeah. And, and, and one of the ways that that is misunderstood in the sense of, of Jeff Thompson um, showing it and delivering it is the fact that the reason why it came to prominence and became so famous and Jeff himself became so famous and he writes about this in his in his latest book was the fact that he used it as a platform for preemptive striking and that was a complete change in how martial artists looked at real violence at that time and he was both sort of lambasted and loved in equal measure mm-hmm. um, but but he states by his own uh, by his own hand that that the reason that that became so I caught the zeitgeist of the moment was because he was working from the premise that it was a setup for a preemptive strike. And so you were safe in that position. But if you needed to, you could then sort of you know, look to end the confrontation quickly through 
um, through, as I said, these kind of strikes. So, um, so there's the difference with that because Jeff doesn't own it and never did it. That that's one of the great things about about what Jeff did in in the day is that he took a lot of concepts and ideas that we may or may not have known, and then explained them in a way that made sense. Sure. Um, and fundamentally, that's that's really where the power was because the fence is a concept that's been around long before. Um, Jeff, he just put a title on it and explained it in a way that could be understood and it done it exceptionally well. So well, in fact, that here we are all these years later um, talking across the world about it. And and yeah, it's 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 fallen into. How should we say it's fallen into common usage by martial artists across the world. However, firstly, sometimes I think there can be a, a bit of a misunderstanding as to what it's meant to achieve. And also the interpretations of that. Um, but then also, I think there's a very real problem, and this is what I looked at in the video. So this is bringing us up to speed. Um, there's a very real issue with the fact that people are still looking at the fence circa 1992. Um, I mean, Jeff wrote his first books, Watch My Back, in, in 1988, and was it released in 1992. So this is before we had CCTV everywhere. This is before the land of smartphones. This is before everybody was a witness with 4G and all the rest of it. And so that now has to be sort of factored into what we're doing. And it has to be, uh, it, it has to be part of our conversation. Mm -hmm. We're not just talking with ourselves, the immediate threat and the immediate vicinity of people. We're now, we're now talking to, um, people that could be second guessing our decisions 12 months from now in a courtroom via a wonderful CCTV screen. And so, you know, we have to factor these things in. So that's really what the, what that video was about and what that conversation was about. Sure. Well, before we dig that far into it, cause we've got a good roadmap here of some great things to talk about. Uh, what I've noticed, and maybe this is from some of the, the Aikido uh, instructors and whatnot that I've seen show this fence or, or show the concept or, or uh, show the approach, I think you're right, perhaps misunderstand this because of the defensive, seemingly defensive nature of the fence. And it certainly can be used in a defensive manner to help cover that reaction gap of if your hands are down and somebody swings at you, you may have, a, you will have the delay of when you notice it and then you decide to move and you have to move so far to bring your hands up to intercept. Whereas if your hands are up, you can very quickly intercept. So you, you're, you no longer are at that disadvantage of the reaction gap. Therefore, if you treat it as a defensive tool without the what you described as the preemptive platform uh, or the platform for a preemptive strike or grab or control, like that, that's a, that is a huge difference. It's an offensive tool as much as it is a defensive tool. And it's versatile in that way that it can, it can help you not be victim to that, that reaction speed problem of having your hands down. But I think, you know, where, and I agree with that, I think people often miss the, really that, that is a setup to very quickly control somebody. So really you're, taking the reaction gap and putting it in your favor instead of having it be against you, the, the offensive versus defensive part. Um, and I think, you know, at least with a lot of people in the Aikido world, they, I think, have a resistance to the idea that I will preemptively attack my opponent or, and, and by attack, I mean, 
I will, I won't grab them. I won't strike them. I won't try to control them. I'm going to wait for them to try to control me. And then I will respond. And in my opinion, I think that that's a strategic mistake or I shouldn't say mistake, but it's, it's dangerous because you're assuming that you'll make the right, you react properly. You have the right timing that you succeed in, in answering the motion that's coming in at you correctly. You have to make the right choice. Your timing has to be good. All these things have got to be kind of perfect. Whereas the preemptive action allows you more latitude and it allows you initiative and control uh, kind of momentum. You gain momentum by being the first one to move, um, making the other person react to you. And, uh, you know, we always heard with, within military strategy and, and fighting action beats reaction. And you don't want to be on the bottom end of that curve where you're reacting to somebody else. Cause eventually you got to turn that around and make them re react to you. And yeah. I mean, again, sorry, just because that's, yeah, yeah. that, that's where that's where I start talking about when I say sometimes it's misunderstood or misrepresented or not utilized fully, whichever way you want to look at that. Yeah. Um, because there's a lot more to it. This is more than a, a physical conversation. So if you think about how people communicate, a whole a whole wealth of information is being shared without a single word being said through, you know, through positioning, through posture, through all kinds of things. Eye right? contact. So, so the, yeah, so the fence itself is far more than a, a physical position to put up a wall, if you will. It's also we're communicating all sorts of really interesting things. And we're, and, we're, and we're also communicating on a subconscious level. And that, I think, is fundamentally where a lot of people sort of um, maybe the, they don't quite follow through enough with that. Because, and again, I've got to be careful I word this. Um, but spending many, many years working in a frontline role, having to having to use these sets of skills in the way that they were designed to be used, um, you get a sort of understanding for them of what they're actually capable of. And you can switch people on and off um, just by the use of this positioning and the way that you use that. And, and you know, you can bring people up, you can bring them down. Um, you can also use it to cut off avenues of attack and that sort of thing. And again, it gets really interesting when you're, in a position and you think, right, well, if we look at things like sniper options, generally speaking, and if, if, if a bad guy wants to um, attack you, he's going to come with his biggest weapons, with his strongest side, so on and so forth, yeah, generally speaking. Mm -hmm. um, and so you can say, well, actually, my positioning and how I'm going to angle myself here not only means that I can preempt, but it also means that I can cut off their angles of attack. And so I can close down the things that they are capable of doing to me, even if they don't understand that that's what's happening. That's being done on a subconscious level. And it's really, really, really interesting. All of it. I don't claim to understand it fully because I don't. Um, we're all we're all learning it, you know. But having done this for real many, many times over many years successfully and used it, you know, in various ways, it was always really intriguing to me to find out that when 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 there was a new nuance, you know, when there was a new thing, when something happened, and I was like, oh, that was interesting. You know, when when there was a response that, that I had engineered through the way that I was using it or positioning it, that 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 to me is really, really interesting. And I think that maybe that's a level that would be hard to reach through um, through role play in a club. I agreed. Yeah, that, that those scenario training and, and dealing with true aggression versus somebody pretending to be aggressive. Um, I think there, I personally, I've worked with law enforcement and people that have done 
this professionally, which is to create scenarios and things like that. And, you know, every time there's, there is, there's some value to, to doing those scenario type trainings, but there, you also, it's very obvious there's some, a part that's missing and, you know, having a, a, a quote unquote attacker try to behave like a, an attacker or a, a thug or, you know, what have you really would an agitated drunk person or whatever. Um, you can get close, but it's not the same thing. And it's, I equate it to, to, for example, learning to play poker with chips where you don't care if you lose versus playing poker with real money. And you, now you don't want to lose money. Um, it's like I said, it, yeah, I think I agree with you. It's, it's difficult to get that kind of scenario training. And especially as you're reading an opponent, like, what are they really feeling? Do they, you know, is there, are they distorted in their mind? Is there, what's creating their aggression? Because really that's the problem you're trying to solve. Not just, I don't want to get hit with their fists. I want to really create an equilibrium here where there is, where there's a problem. Yeah, there's more, there's more to it than the physical, which I said, there's that, there's the whole psychological aspect of it, the physiological aspect of it, the conflict management side of it, the conversation that's being had around it. It's part of a wider thing. It's not a thing on its own. Um, and I think that's really where the understanding starts to then branch out and make it more effective is, is once you, once people realize that it's part of a wider sort of uh, picture um, and training it in whatever guise is better than nothing, definitely. Yeah. Uh, and then the, the, the thing to do with that is then to work through different types of training with it. So um, when you said about playing poker with chips, um, I always, I always sort of look at it in the way that, you know, when you've got a, two people from a traditional system, whatever that system may be, and they show a defense against another system, but they don't understand the other system. And so, um, and so when you get, as an example, because you mentioned Aikido, so when you get an Aikido player pretending the role of a boxer and defending against boxing strikes, and it's like, well, it's absolutely clear that that isn't how a boxer strikes. That's, right. you know, and so that, end result is going to be different with a, with, a, with an actual boxer kind of thing so it's a little bit like that but we have to do what we can do and something's better than nothing so um i mean as an example i've spent well over a decade training security staff frontline staff all those kind of people that have to um that have to work and communicate with aggression for real all of the time and we drill down into this a lot because it's it's a fundamental it's a core skill you know if we can if we can stop it there then we've succeeded and that's really what the aim of this is all about, isn't it? It's, it's stopping it there. It's not having to employ further physical levels if we can get away with it. Yeah, and that scenario training, I mean, life is so unique. In, in, uh, exchanges are, are so, there's such a wide variety of them where the problem, like you said, the problem solving is going to happen upstream of the physical conflict. If you've gotten to the physical part, there have been a lot of breakdowns that have happened. Um, either uh, misreading a person or a situation uh, or being oblivious, not having your awareness going, or your, in my opinion, your problem solving. It's one thing to be aware and notice something bad starting to brew up, but it's another to not have the problem solving skills to try to, and the calm of mind to go, all right, how, do, how am I going to avert this in a way that's not going to result in busted heads and broken tables? Um, and this is where I, I have a tremendous respect for people that have worked in security, uh, in the in 
bouncers and what have you, because they've done so much of it. Like they've got, they've read, they learned to read people, read a room, read a person, uh, see, you know, try, try to, to try to intercept these things before they turn into full on explosions of violence. And with practice, you get better. And so, um, you know, I, th I think that the parallel to the self-defense world is going to be the same kind of thing. We can learn from those people that are, say, here are the cues to look for. Here's how to, to, to think about this, not just have it be pure, a purely physical thing. And, and I think you're right that th that's an often overlooked part of martial arts training in general, just because we tend to go right to the physical. Let's practice our locks or let's practice our strikes or, or what have you. Um, that's the fun part, but it's only one small part, just like the fence itself is, is a small part. Yeah, the, 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 again, it's one of those where it would be a pretty empty class if all we ever did was say, somebody calls you a rotten name and you say, yeah, okay, you're right, and walk away. Um, <laughs> you know, we, we again, half of, half of the reason why we do what we do is because we like to feel empowered and we like to feel like we could deal with a situation. We like to feel that, um, you know, if push come to shove, we could handle it sort of thing, yeah? And nobody can ever really say yes or no to that unless they're in that situation. And of course, every situation is different. So, you know, we're now, in a, we're now in a world of, okay, well, realistically, what are we likely to face? How are we likely to face it? And what kind of things can we do to sort of negate that, you know? And that's really what we're looking at with this because nine times out of 10, the arguments are going to be really non-physical unless we make them for a lot of the time it'll be you know it, it will be sort of arguments things like that and it will it will escalate depending on how we react how the situation is yeah sometimes it just goes straight to violence that's different at that point the fence is out the window anyway because you know we've passed that stage in, in that communication process right and so if we go okay right well if we're talking about an argument that is going to escalate if we're talking about confrontation that's going to escalate our job at that point is to stop that escalation and reverse it if possible. Mm -hmm. And that's where the conflict management side of things comes in. That's where the understanding thing comes in. That's where you start talking about triggers, inhibitors, and, and all kinds of really interesting and complex sort of conversations in and around all of that. Um, and, and there are some core skills in and within that. So as an example, right, if you're talking about standing at the front of a bar, then there are some key things that may cause confrontation, i.e. they can't come in because they're not dressed appropriately or they're drunk or they've been thrown out for fighting or, but there are, there are key you know, sort of spots where you can say that is likely to cause a, an issue. But you can do the same in your everyday life and you can say, well, okay, you know, what would some of those be? Identify those. And then you can run through those in your training. So if you think, well, actually, um, you know, once we've once we've had a few drinks out with our friends, we like to go to the takeaway at the end of the night and get something to eat. That's a that's a very British thing to do, by the way. Right. But normally all the people from all the local pubs are all descending on the same takeaway. Now, there's a there's a flashpoint there. There's there's a genuine room for, a you know, for an argument to happen. That's why people say outside the chip shop all the time. Dangerous place to be chip shops are that way. Um, <laughs> And so, but you, so that's what I'm saying, where you can then make the fence more alive, you can then make it more applicable and real by identifying some of the key sort of things and then working from that. So public transport is another, is another one that can be sort of worked around and used uh, and whatever you identify. And then you can play with those and you can make that 
that that practice then far more alive rather than just standing in the middle of a gym practicing a power slap on a pad um because there's far more to it than that and so and so yeah i mean that's really where it gets interesting for me is the is the use of it when applied with the escalation tactics and all the other things that go with it yeah you know i in i, I liked just a, a previous episode we talked about the art of self-protection and i i think that the fence is a great tool for preparing yourself for the possibility that somebody might go physical with you you're you're not using it purely as a physical tool but it's like a setup and and this is my i personally i like to look at my martial art as a, a set of strategies more than just a, a bunch of physical techniques um the techniques are what happens when a, you want a certain strategy. And in this case, bringing your hands up and moving to a point where somebody who's facing you has to take the long way to get to you rather than a very short way. So you're kind of setting up the battlefield and your placement in such a way that without ever saying anything, you're giving the message of it's not going to be easy for you to, to, to take a cheap shot at me or to you know, I'm going to make you work for it. Um, but without having to be verbally resistant to them, you can even not say a word and just by moving to the side and hear, you know, whatever they want to say, um, you know, you're using that body language also from, uh, from the standpoint of if you stand chest to chest, somebody that's, that is a more aggressive body language, but by moving to the side, you're, you're sort of giving them their way and allowing them to be assertive and you're being looking at least appearing more passive, but really what you're doing is moving into a position physically where they will have a hard time landing a quick shot on you. Um, and that's where I see the, the strategy part fitting right into that, that self-protection. And uh, for those who did not hear the, the, the last episode, I, what we talk, we're talking about was the art of self-protection is different from the art of self-defense. And self-defense is what you use when your self-protection skills failed and you are now in a physical conflict realm. And so I view that this, this part and the fence in com combination with placement <clears throat> can put you at a point where you can pretty easily see an attack that should it start and be able to intercept it or use it as that preemptive where you can read somebody, maybe what they're saying is becoming apparent that there's no way that talking the situation out is gonna work that they're they're escalating into a rage or something like that where then you can get control of them and and uh remove them from where they are or you know hold them down so that they're not going to hurt you or anybody else or themselves something like that yeah yeah that psychological uh, element of that is, is, is really important with regards to sort of setting that up because uh, again if you use that in a way where you practice your own sort of preemptive striking this is Ala Jeff, definitely 100 percent um then then you can almost if you like give yourself permission for that because if you're in a if, if you're in a say a striking position where you're looking for a, a clean shot and you've and you've and you put yourself in that position then if it needs to be done you've already if you like mentally committed to the process and said if i need to do this I'm going to do this. And so when you look at things like the OODA loop and, and, and all those kind of ways of assessing where you are in the mental process, 
you're already putting yourself a few steps forward on that and you're not having that overwhelm of decision because again it's that's a genuine problem for people if you've got a you know a massive monster in front of you that genuinely wants to cause you harm you've got to step over that line yourself and you've got to mentally make a decision to physically engage or wait for them to physically engage in which you're almost certainly going to lose because when you're playing second fiddle you know it's a real problem so I mean, that was essentially where Jeff came to the fore with that, because what he was saying was, you know, use it as a platform, use it as a setup, you know, work those real solid techniques off that fence, get very blooming good at them and then execute them with precision. And that fundamentally was was where it worked so well for him over all those years. Very well documented, you know. Um, but as I said, from a psychological point of view, it's great because you're halfway there already. You've already given yourself, if you like, you, you You've already accepted the fact that that may happen. And that's a really, psychologically, that's a really big step because for a lot of people that haven't been involved in real violence, that don't understand it, they first they've got to figure out that they're actually in a fight. Then they've got to figure out that there's a genuine risk. Then they've got to figure out if or when they're going to do something. Right. And they're always behind that curve. And so the fence can be really helpful for that <coughs> as well. And so there are so many good elements to it. There's no, no question about any of that. Um, but then this is where the video again came in because we're in a position now where we've got to say, okay, right, we're, nobody is trying to reinvent the wheel because it's been done. It's been done very, very well. What we are trying to do is say, well, what we want to try and do is bring that wheel into the modern technological age that we now live in. Um, in the same way that if you think about a 19, a 1970s car, you wouldn't want one of those now. You'd want one that's up to date, even though essentially right. it's the same thing. And so really that's what we're looking at. We're, we're looking at updating it for the modern world. Yeah, but that makes that sense. Becomes, but then that becomes, uh, again, a, a very fundamental question because, and this is great because you can look at this in a much wider picture. Because if you look at, as an example, one of the criticisms against modern martial arts in the traditional sense is that the very fact that they are traditional in the very fact that they, they're unwilling sometimes or, or seem to be or not seem to be so keen on moving into the modern age. And we like it the way it was. Let's just do that. Right. Um, and, and it's ironic, isn't it? Because if you look at, say, Bruce Lee and his and his teachings and what he taught and everything we've now got people that are doing a system that was right from the word go was meant to be constantly evolving that is suddenly that has stopped dead in that time frame right and and the same applies with 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 this with the fence we've got a whole raft of people working on a very very fundamentally sound premise but from a 1992 perspective and that's really the whole point of the video. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, and this gives me an idea for even another podcast we could get deep into basically is the rules of engagement because the fence kind of is the, is the um, how would you say this, a, a, a platform for now you, you will choose when, when you can take your preemptive motion or action and when you can't, which is going to change, you know, a little different, for example, um, you know, a bouncer in a club, his job is to protect that property versus an average person who's out, you know, at, at, in public. So he, he's not actually protecting the, the, the area that he's in. 
things change a little bit there. Um, and, and knowing, okay, when is it time to say, I, I need to control this situation. This is getting out of control now. And if I let this go further, I'm going to be on the downside of the initiative. Somebody else will have it and I will have to try to get it back. And that's going to be risky um, to understand the risk um, in, in a live situation and be able to make that, that decision on the fly. And that's something that, you know, I, uh, back when I would, would, would compete and I still uh, talk with a lot of the guys that are, that are doing it, they'll say the same thing. Like even a sport fight they'll say is 80% of that is mental. It, it's not really the physical that's, that's predominant. Although when, when you look at it, when, you know, lay people watch a fight, a uh, sport fight, they think, Oh, look at all the physical that's going on there. Really the interaction between those fighters is mostly mental. And I, here's where I see the parallel, although how it expresses itself is completely different from in the real world violence from sport, because like you say, the sport fighters, they know when it's time to go, the bell rings and, and off they go in a real world environment. It's the one who decides to start the fight that usually has the advantage. And sometimes that advantage, they take it and it, it doesn't get overcome because the, the, the victim didn't realize he was in a fight until the fight's basically almost over. Um, and that's that's so a very distinct difference. And a, a yeah. number of sport fighters have gotten beat up in street fights because they weren't ready to decide, all right, I need to go. And the fight was over before they realized they were in one. Yeah, no, absolutely. And again, this is where the power of these kind of things come to the fore when when they're utilized correctly. Because if we can maintain that kind of posturing and we can hold that distance and we can claim that space and not necessarily take charge of the conversation, but at least sort of maintain it while we figure ourselves out. That gives us time to do all the dynamic risk assessments we need to do. You know, we can assess what's going on. We can figure that out in our mind and we can actually make decisions that aren't based on panic. Mm -hmm. and, and that, again, is, is crucially important because there's normally more than one answer to a problem. And there might, it might be that there are three or four different outcomes that could be employed in that situation. However, if we mishandle it or if we or if we just go into a panic mode, we could lose a lot of those available options that were there for us. Mm -hmm. And that's another great, great thing when it comes to these kind of non-aggressive stances and positionings is the fact that it, it does give us that window of opportunity to actually assess what's going on and make a genuine decision as opposed to a panic reaction. Mm -hmm. Sure. You know, one of the things that, that I noticed about the, uh, the fence and uh, I was working with some law enforcement officers, friends of mine that, that use this same approach to actually initiate contact. And, and by contact, I don't mean that they grab somebody, but they will approach, their hands will be up and out and they'll maybe do a gentle hand on the shoulder, a gentle, you know, hand on the side of the arm. And what they explained was when they do that, they want to feel the tension of that person you can actually by having that contact you can feel whether their 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 upper body is relaxed or if they started to move you could feel it because you can always respond to somebody but the sense of touch is much faster than the sense of vision of seeing somebody move is slower versus feeling when their arm moves and if you can use that fence approach of course these are police officers so they'll approach somebody whereas from a self-defense realm somebody probably approached you uh, which kind of, they already had that initiative by them coming to you. They've chosen the timing. They've chose the place. They chose the angle. Even there, the initiative 
kind of has to start to get turned around and the fence can allow you to choose to, to change your position, change your movement, make some a slight, what looks like friendly contact, but really it's like a information gathering, like a probe to see and feel what, what is going on with, with them. And it's, to me, it's a fascinating, uh, tool for body for reading body language and getting more information about what this person is is doing with you and then to see how they react um if they you know if you you basically put your hand in and then they pull back well now you've just created some space now you are exercising your initiative over this and they are starting to respond to you um so I, i this is i like you said earlier i don't know how you would train and practice this in a dojo setting uh, because it's, it would be so artificial. Um, that would be tricky. There, there's, there, are, there are lots of things you can do all day, every day with this kind of stuff. I mean, that's where it gets, and I say this to the, the guys that I train quite often, there are various elements to this. So with, with regards to the touching thing that you mentioned there, there's also the very real fact that subconsciously, if I go into those positions and I touch, no matter how gentle, I am subconsciously letting that person know that I am prepared to be physical, that I am prepared mm-hmm to take that step if I need to. And, and again, that's a conversation that isn't being vocalized, but it's still being had. Um, right. And that's all relevant. But, but when we're looking at just general stuff, I always say to my guys, look, all I want you to do is walk down a busy street. And as you're walking down the street, just randomly do that to people, right? I guarantee you 99.9% of those people will stop dead in their tracks. You can then apologize, say very sorry and wander off, right? It's just an experiment, but it shows you the power of this kind of physicality because people will, in, for the most part, stop dead at that point. Um, that's just one of the little things that I do. And again, I'll, I'll, I'll do this with people where I'll say, just if you're, if you're in a queue or if you're in a crowd or if you're doing anything, again, just, just purposely try and gently pressure somebody into a direction you want them to go. And so again, if you think about being in a coffee shop waiting for a coffee, and if you want to move somebody to the side because you see, say, a, 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 a mum coming along with a buggy and a small child, you just gently touch them on the shoulder and almost always they will move themselves the way that you want them to go. They may question it afterwards, but that's after they've physically done it. And these are all just little tiny things, but those little tiny things apply right across the board, even if we don't understand why we're doing what we're doing. Again, Evolution is a marvelous thing to study within and around this field because there are so many elements of it that apply to what we do in regards to things that we do, but we don't know we do them or why we do them. Um, that it, that it's absolutely great. So those are just some of the some of the little things that you can do day in and day out as little testers, and and they they create such an interesting sort of thing because all of a sudden your entire day becomes this weird social experiment with. <laughs> <laughs> Well, those, those are great suggestions. In fact, as you described them, you know, I realized that that uh, one of the ways that I practiced something similar was it, it was people, you know, when when somebody approaches you and you're both on the exact same line, you're walking directly towards each other and then you think you're going to go right. The other person goes that way. And then you sort of do that dance back and forth as you're as you're closing distance. Um I found like, okay, how do you solve that problem other than looking, you know, like complete fool? Well, what I th- uh, felt was, or what I experimented with was that worked were two different things. One is just keep walking straight and let them choose whatever way they want to move rather than trying to, you know, dart back and forth. But the other one, and this relates to what you were talking about, is once you close that distance, reach out and touch a shoulder 
that indicates that you're going to guide them beside you. Um, it, it's an unspoken signal and you don't wind up doing that, that back and forth kooky dance thing, or you can take their shoulders and kind of move them to clear your path. So you're not grabbing and, and kind of ripping them off their feet. You're just sort of guiding them gently. Uh, and then the second one was um, when people, and this is more when we had crowds and, you know, not everybody was paranoid about being six feet apart from everybody else, but you'd have folks that would bump into you because they were moving maybe sideways. They weren't looking where they were going or they're backing into you. Uh, once I started actually using that hand on the shoulder and I'm like, okay, I can, I can kind of intervene here. So rather than just try to get out of their way or be shoved, I would just gently put my hand on their shoulders and guide them just to let them know that I was there. And like you said, it's, it's a very gentle guide and people always respond to it. They always do. And not in a hostile way because the intention that comes through your hands is, is gentle. It's a gentle guiding thing, not a, you know, clamp on with, with a grip or anything like that. And I, I know that, that in Aikido, we talk a lot about uh, and train this way where when we make contact with Uke, we're not grasping them with an iron grip, we are actually guiding them usually to, to deposture them and, and then do some kind of a technique or, or what have you. But the principle, if you back that up and use it in that civilian realm is exactly what you're describing. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's, I say, it's just an interesting thing. And there's, but there's so much of, again, we don't need to go into this, but we know that there's so much of martial arts that, that, that can be utilized on a daily basis, not, and not necessarily in a negative aggressive way, just in, just in everyday life. I mean, it's one of, again, it's one of the reasons why we do it, isn't it? So, um, so when we're looking at what we're talking about and we're looking at this fence and we're looking at this posture and this non-aggressive stance stuff and we're looking at the psychological side of it, conflict management, all that sort of thing. And we're like, okay, well, that fundamentally hasn't changed over this period of time. Mm -hmm. So fundamentally, that remains the same. You know, there might be a, a slight difference with the stylistics of things and, and maybe some things are a little bit more in fashion than others. And, um, but, <clears throat> but as a general rule, that all remains the same. So what's different is the environment. And that's, again, where I talk a lot across martial arts generally, because the environment that we're in should dictate the manner in which we deploy our weaponry, shall we say, our arsenal. Um, and so that's fundamentally where the conversation goes to with regards to this, because now when we look at our fence on non-aggressive stances, we've got to think that there's a, a, a third witness um, outside of ourselves and the immediate vicinity, which is, as I said, the cameras, smartphones, CCTV, um, all that sort of thing, which, especially in the UK, is something that is constant. We're, we're, in a, we're in a world now where there is very little that isn't covered by CTTV. 87% of our population, adult population, has a mobile phone. So that's a heck of a lot of cameras. That's a, that's a huge amount of eyes on. And one of the things that I stress to a lot of the guys that I train in work environment is the fact that you will be judged by this video content, by this footage regardless of what happened in the moment, because more often than not, and we've all seen this, you know, we've all been on these groups and things where people have shared a fight that's been caught on camera. And almost always, there's no real context to it. It doesn't give you the build up. It doesn't explain why things happened the way they did. 
all you're seeing is just this push, you know, at the end. And we're all left to make our own judgment. Now, this is where this gets sort of really interesting because you've got so many dynamics to that because you've got, not only have you got the legal ramifications and, and the fact that a year from now, you could be having to explain that in a court of law or on a big screen, um, but you've also got the social implications of that now because that literally that can be live in a second on across social media globally and you've got no control over that once it's once it's out in the world you know that's pretty much it isn't it and so we really have to now factor these things into what we're um into the conversation and what we're looking at doing and we can we can look at that from a level of well we don't want to be legally liable you know we want to make sure that it shows that we're not the aggressor so on and so forth or we could look at it from the point of view where as a competitor would you know as a competitor yourself you know full well that if you hide the technique on the other side to the ref the good chances are he's not going to see it and score it and so you're actually taught to work to the ref to the, to the ref side you're actually taught to do that so that there's more chance of the ref scoring the point right same applies with cctv you know you can hide it you can show it um you can maneuver people into different areas you can bring them into the camera you can bring them away from the camera and this is all now part of our arsenal part of our tool so if as an example i'm in an area and i think oh, there's something bad's going to happen right i'm purposely going to try and engineer it so that my fence is mobile and i'm taking them to a camera so, right. yeah, so that's just one example. Uh, I'm sure we can all think of many, many more. But I, you know, but the essence is, I, I think that now has to be factored into the conversation and the way that we look at this. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and one of the things, and this I think relates to what you're talking about, is as that fence, as you, as your hands are out away from you, it allows you to get more information. If somebody pushes their chest through through your hands, you now put up a boundary and you've seen them violate it and i think that there's a fundamental of self-defense uh in having the, the topic you're talking about it being judged is the they call it cya or can you articulate like if you do have to take your preemptive motion or action or or what have you why did you do it what input did you have that made it seem that violence was imminent and you needed to act before the other person did you know, in order to control a situation and the fence allows you to do that with your hands are up, whether they push into you, because you've kind of just said, you would, uh, without speaking, you've said, keep some distance, give me, allow me some space here. And they've violated that. Um, all the way up to they grab a hand, they grab a wrist because it's close to them. Now you've kind of given them a choice, they can either back off or they they're going to escalate up the aggression ladder and now you have that that um the moral standing to take action against them or you have now you've got a strong indicator of all right they don't care about your boundaries they are going to uh, push into you um and now you can take action and i think that with within the self-defense world and i'm sure that the the security world is the same way is having that when is it okay to go having a strong signal and being able to articulate that after the fact, whether that's to a prosecutor or to, uh, you know, a judge or, or something like that to say, I had to do this because if I didn't, I was going to be in, I, I felt I was going to be in real trouble, like severe danger. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. absolutely. I mean, this is critical. Again, what you're saying is absolutely 100% right. And it's, 
um, it's something again that needs to be sort of covered when we're talking about all this sort of thing, because when we're looking at our dynamic risk assessments, when we're looking at justification, when we're looking at statements afterwards and, and describing what we did, there's a very real difference between saying, well, actually, I tried to back off. And every time I did, the aggressor came forward. He was into my space. He was, you know, I was very much at risk of being overpowered because he's physically, he's very domineering, you know. I saw the pre-attack cues, I saw the balance shift, I saw the shoulder drop, I saw the intake of breath, you know, I saw the fist start to clench. And so I reacted with a preemptive strike. That definitely sounds an awful lot better than I hit him because he was a twat. Um, <laughs> right. And so having, you're right with that, having that ability to justify why you did what you did really is a critical thing because they do say that, don't they? That um, people don't necessarily get hung for the action. They get, they get hung for the statement. Um, right. And again, I, we're not suggesting that people should lie in any way, shape or form, but we're definitely saying that having a good explanation for why you took the action that you took should be part of the process. That should be part, a, a solid part of good self-defense is understanding that and knowing what needs to be said. It's not enough in this day and age to say I was in genuine fear for my life, you know, because right. people say that these days, they still say that, it baffles me, you know, it just, just say I was in genuine fear for my life. And it's like, well, that's kind of a redundant statement. These that's days. not that, to get out of jail free card that people think it is. <laughs> no, that's right. And that's, that, that's exactly the point, isn't it? And so one of the, one of the great things about training this when it's done correctly is while you're in these postures you can actually run through risk assessments with your partner and that person can play the part and you can spot the signs and you can play that game you know sort of aggressive bingo if you will you know um what is that person doing and what he's not doing what is he how is he reacting to the triggers to the um to the inhibitors you know what sort of stimulus is being given what what's the environment like you know and all of these things all factor in and so that then can be part of the game, the wider game of this non-aggressive fence kind of posturing. And this is where we get back to where we said about the training, and then it suddenly becomes a lot more useful. Mm -hmm. So it's, it, it's just one of those where, again, it's, it's when we look at the, the camera side of it and the security side of it, and the, sorry, CTBC side of it and all that kind of thing, we have to bear that in mind as well, because whatever we say, has to tally up and it has to be represented on that screen so if we say we backed away three times that needs to show that you know there needs right. to be that correlation between both of those things um, and so we want to be thinking about that from the word go really again I'm, I'm very big on saying that people shouldn't lose the first fight because they're worried about the second and the third fight you know you've got to deal with the fight in front of you whether that's the psychological, the physical, or the legal, you know, each has its own place and each has to be dealt with. And so we don't want to be losing the physical fight because we're worried about the legal implications. Right. But in the same vein, if we're, if we're at that first point where we've still got choices that we can make, then we want to be making those choices based on the best information that we have at that moment, which should include CCDB yeah, and, exactly. And, and to have a calm enough mind to think through those issues on the fly, because a lot of these situations can, can form very quickly. Quick decisions sometimes have to be made, oftentimes without all the information you, you'd like to have to make a good one. But 
Uh, I think one of the art articulations, you know, like you said, if you do try to back away or do try to leave and somebody starts to follow you, that is a very strong pre-attack cue that they're not letting you go. Um, another one to articulate is I was cornered. I couldn't go anywhere. I didn't have room to back up or leave or the exit was blocked. They were, they were kind of penning me in. And this is something that um, not just predators, but bullies and, and those who are aggressive, they like cornering people. They like getting their target in a place where they can't just turn around and 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 leave uh it it gives them kind of a sense of power like trapping an animal um you know that you want to control you're not going anywhere um you know i've known people that have been trapped by uh you know in a bathroom and mugged because there's only one exit you know public bathroom often only has one way out and if you block that way now you 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 know you've, you've got your prey where you want them so you don't have to run, you know, <laughs> and uh, muggers and stuff, I guess, don't like getting in foot races. They want to just say, all right, give me your stuff or, or what have you. So, but being able to articulate that threat, like, why did I have to take action? Because I had no other real choice uh, is, is a part of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that, that's fundamentally what you've just described there with regards to the the, the situation where the bully, the aggressor, whichever, will 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 box you in and will close you down and will block you off. You know that is essentially offence, but but from an environmental point of view, on a much bigger stage, they're they're using their version of it, and then that's as I say, it's just then a case of us using ours, if you will. Um, sure. Well, when we're talking justification, then absolutely, that's back into the whole everybody should just run away conversation again which is <laughs> um which is again slightly different and and so that justification comes under many many guises and it's different for everybody and again this is where um a lot of these conversations become uh quite interesting because it's not one size fits all nothing should be but especially this and and, and i was having this conversation the other day where i was saying look i'm i'm six two i'm 18 stone i'm trained to a degree I'm reasonably confident physically. I'm not suggesting that I'm, you know, the be all and end all, but I'm reasonably physically capable. Now, if I was five foot four, eight stone with a very dodgy knee and walk with a limp, I would have to handle the exact same situation differently. Absolutely. My defense would be different. My justification would be different. My, you know, my preemptive action, if any, would be different. My capitulation would be different, you know. Nothing about that would be the same because we're completely different people. And so it can't be taught in a one size fits all way. Um, and again, when we're talking about justification, which is a wide sort of complex conversation in itself, especially given the fact that we're in sort of different places in the world that has different laws and different um, ways of looking at this, uh, then it's, it becomes you know, really, really even more interesting and more uh, it's more important that people understand this when they're teaching it, that they teach it in a way where this is expressed, as in it isn't one size fits all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that the, the different fit is not just circumstantial or even uh, based on a certain individual's uh, body or physical capability, although those, those are certainly factors. It's also their mental capability, because just like we talked about earlier, all of these instances are about probably 80% mental. 
And so if somebody, even your size, and I've met, I've met some big dudes that are very calm and, and rather passive people. They don't want to get into any trouble. Um, in fact, I, I, the, I wrote a book on bullying years ago, and I interviewed this young man who had a pretty severe bullying incident in high school. And he was a big kid. Like he was two sizes bigger than everybody in his, in his grade. And his father always told him, you know, because you're big, if you ever get into a physical problem, you're going to be viewed as a bully just because people look at your size and they go, you must've started this because big people tend to be bullies. So his personality developed the opposite way. He became very passive. He's a gentle giant, um, really nice young man. Um, and it, the, the physical, what he could do physically as a football player, very physically capable, but his, his, his mind just would look like, I'm not going to get involved in any type of violence, no matter what. And just as we were talking, that mindset made him the target of, of bullies. Now there were three of them that grouped up to, to go, kind of go after him and start picking on him. And they did. And it eventually came into, got into a fight, but it, not because he made any choice, but they just continued pursuing him and they would not, they were relentless. They would not give up because uh, they thought that he could be taken advantage of. And so this is one of those cliche things that, that I think people often believe that, you know, if I'm big, I'm not going to be picked on. It, it's not about your physical part. It's more about your mental part. And I've run into some smaller people that are, they're like a honey badger. You know, they might be small, but boy, you look right into their eyes and you're like, I'm not going to take any of your, of your garbage, you know, and I don't care if you take me down because I'm small, but I'm going to take a piece out of you, <laughs> you know, and nobody wants to mess with that. <laughs> so yeah, that's yeah, so yeah. much more mental and, and that spirit part inside of that defiance and saying, I am going to put up my boundary. It's, it's like a, a, I guess a verbal fence or a, where you say, I'm no, you're not going to make a victim out of me. And, uh, and they're willing, they show that they're willing to enforce that boundary. Um, I, I guess that's a little bit of a diversion, but I think it, it, it covers that same, give me my space back off. Don't, don't mess with me. And then you're willing to, to do something. If somebody says, well, what are you going to do? If I, if I do violate your, this boundary you've just set. Yeah, boundary yeah, setting again, is a crucial skill. Yeah, no, the premise is the same. And again, it's another little thing that I say to people when I'm training them is that um, I would say it, 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 you can't base everything on sort of size and, and, and physical appearance. You're absolutely right. right there. And the trouble is, is the twofold on this. Number one is that um, when you're looking at six months and you're in court for whatever it is, that that nine stone kid that doesn't look like anything now, when he was absolutely coked up to his eyeballs and wanting to put a glass through your ear mm -hmm. actually he was a dangerous guy you know that's absolutely fundamentally that's you know but so but that unfortunately when it comes to sort of the, the justice side of things six months to a year later that then it does come into play because people are looking at the bigger person and making assumptions as you rightly pointed out but then the second point on that is when you said about the, the that creating boundaries and things i mean again that is essentially a psychological offense, isn't it? Essentially what you're doing. And the, and the way that I, I explain this to people is I say, go go sit in a coffee shop or a bar or whatever, it doesn't matter, but just take 10 minutes, go sit in a public place and watch the world go by and assess the people walking past you, right? And I don't mean in a gratuitous way. I mean in a genuine, in your own mind way. You don't have to explain it to anyone, right? And as the people walk past, you just sort of ask yourself whether or not you would physically attack them if you needed to. Do you think you could beat them in a fight? 
And invariably, what you'll find is that if people are honest with themselves, there'll be there'll be people of different sizes, but there'll just be things about them. They'll just have like an aura. They'll just have like a confidence that you may not be able to pinpoint, but you can feel it, you know. Um, and that's a really interesting experiment because that that isn't size reliant, as you say, and it's it's quite a fun one to do. And I recommend that everyone sort of tries that if they haven't done so. Yeah, that that is a, a very valuable uh, exercise in in you could call it reading. Uh, cold reading is often how, how it's termed. Um, and I've found great uh, learning lessons in in doing that. And, and as you do it, if you say, no, I would not, I wouldn't go after this person, or I wouldn't, I don't think I would prevail in a physical exchange, then say, why? What exactly did I see? And you're right, it, you get a feel, you get kind of that feel of an aura. But I've also found that the more you do it, the more you practice, you say there's something in their eyes, the way that they're looking or studying around, they're aware, their, their gait, maybe the way they walk, that you can tell that they have strong legs and hips or, or they're walking with confidence. Generally, it comes down to a, an expression of their confidence uh, and their awareness. Whereas you can see somebody who's big, who's kind of wobbling on their knees, they're maybe strong or tall or whatever, but they're not paying attention. They look like uh, lackadaisical or uh, dis distracted. You know, they're not confident. They're hump, you know, hunching their shoulders. Their heads hanging down. All these body languages, I think, are it's it's good to be able to learn that. And it may not seem like like the crowd watching you're talking about would be very productive. But I think anybody who's done it will say abs just what you said is like go spend some time doing this because it is very insightful. Yeah. And then yeah, both, you take both that even today. a step farther and say. Yeah all right, what is this person doing here? Like get it. And I know bouncers do this all the time. Um, we'll say, is this person here to cause trouble? Or is this, you know, are they going about their business? Because you can start to read their actions as well as their movements and, and whatnot. Uh, it's very insightful to, to a good practice to do that. Yeah, yeah. And then on top of that, as you rightly said, you can, you can look to that and say, and ask yourself, well, why do I feel that way about that person? Mm -hmm. And you can, implement those things yourself you know you can access those things yourself you can um highlight them if you wanted to and so you know when i when i first started working on the doors all them all that time ago they were they were they were guys that were working that had what i would call this aura they just had this you know you'd have to kill them to stop them kind of vibe going on um and it wasn't that they were aggressive or loud or anything. they just had this quiet capable formidable i think is a good word just um vibe around themselves that, that whatever you threw at them they could cope with it mm -hmm. and i think that was kind of it you know they just had this 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 vibe that whatever you threw at them they could cope with it um and that quiet confidence was something that i looked at back then which i honestly never never had at all i mean every, you know every tiny little thing would set me a quiver um, <laughs> but I, i'd look you know i'd look at these guys and i think that's where i want to be that's what i want to get that's 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 how i want to be perceived by the world you know Mm -hmm. And it's and it's really interesting because it, it wasn't it was never bombastic it was never arrogance you know that mm -hmm. wasn't it it was this sort of quiet and yeah so it's one of those where when we talk about the fence and we talk about a specific physical posturing we forget to mention that 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 encompasses a much wider fence which is our everyday fence which is how we present ourselves to the world which is what this is alluding to you know and how we carry ourselves how we uh, transmit ourselves and how we sort of 
if you want to use like hippie terminology, how we vibrate in the world, you know. Um, but it's it's very real. You know, do we walk around looking like a victim or do we walk around looking like somebody who could deal with whatever life throws at us? You know, that's fundamentally the question on that, isn't it? And that is a that's an everyday fence. Right, exactly. And and as I've because I, I uh, let my students know that about the fence and, and how to use it and obviously tech, how technique works from there. One of the, the biggest things that, that I noticed is it allows you to be proactive. For example, if you approach me and I just stand there and I bring my hands up as you walk up to me, I've not done a very good job of employing the fence because I've told you non-verbally that I'm on defense. Uh, like I bring up my, my little uh, bunker walls and you, you walk up, you control when you do it, from what angle. And I'm still kind of behind that eight ball. But if I see you approaching me and you're clearly coming over to talk to me and I stand up and I step forward and I bring my hands up, now I've shown you that I'm willing to approach you. And I can do it because my hands are up and I know that I can respond if you take physical action against me. But I've shown you a whole different person than somebody who just sits there and waits for you to approach. And we do this with our Randori training a lot where I have my students like go after the attackers, move towards them, even a little bit that will show them that you're not afraid, you're not backing away, you're actually willing to engage, kind of like I, I describe it with the intent of, of shaking hands. If, I, if you come out to shake your, offer your hand for me to shake it and I go to sh shake your hand, I show that I'm actively going to interact, exchange with you. And that, that is part of what paints you as more of a predator than more than a confident person than prey. And I think that that's an important aspect of, of self-defense because predators and even people just bullies or, or people that want to be aggressive will tend to shift towards easier targets than people that look like they're, they're will actively uh, get into an exchange. And I'm not talking about a fight, but, but just to be at, uh, active or uh, vigor, uh, vigorously have vigor, vigorous energy about how they're going to deal with a potential challenge or a potential conflict. Yeah, yeah well, that, again, that takes us through to the, 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 the old fashioned what you steer in that kind of deal. And exactly right. that, you know, that's, it's, that's the interview, isn't it? That's, that's, mm -hmm. that's exactly what that is for. That's deciding whether or not you're a victim, whether or not I can you know, intimidate you and manipulate you. That's, that's that's how all that works and again understanding all of that is part of the wider picture and the, so that 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 then you're in the vocal fence kind of conversation which is equally as important as a physical fence mm -hmm. but it's setting the same sort of rules it's creating those boundaries it's it's saying i'm not a victim i'm not gonna you know play those games i'm not gonna fall into those traps and that verbal tennis and the way that that interview is is progressed will then also determine whether or not the physical needs to take place. And that's leveled on top of the, 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 you know, the physical fence itself and those non-aggressive stances. So these are all elements of the same thing. Um, and that's where, as we said right at the very beginning, where this is such a, an interesting sort of concept to pull apart and have a look at and look at the different nuances of it, because there are so many elements to it. It's not just stand like this. <laughs> right, right. You know, and, and that boundary, I think, is is essentially a nonverbal way of saying of saying a gentle no, like don't don't come closer to me. And I think that a lot of times um, 
you know, when approached by an aggressor and maybe they're even just doing an aggressive shakedown on the street of, Hey, can you give me $5 and, and kind of getting in your face? They're not posing any violence, but there's a certain level of intrusion where you have to say, no, I'm not going to give you $5 or I don't have it, or, or you're going to have to tell them no, and then study and see, do they accept your no? And if they don't, then you're on the escalating ladder. And to recognize that and be able to articulate that of, you know, we, I started out by saying, no, I'm not cool with this, or I wanted to keep you back and you didn't respect that. And that, that should be major red flag right there. And, and this is something that I know is a, a very taught very well generally in the, in the women's self-defense world, because women are often intruded upon by, you know, for example, on dates or, or, you know, they're, often viewed as weaker. So people will tend to in, intrude on them or make demands or say, I, this is what I want from you. Or this is what I demand of you. The ability to say no is very important and to enforce that no. Um, but not, and that's why I love the fence part, because it, it is sort of that initial, no, I'm not, I'm not, I don't, I don't want to have you here without having to say it. And I think as we talked about the, the pre-fight cues, having your no not respected or outright ignored is, is a red flag. That should be one of those first danger uh, indicators. Um, and then another one would be if you start to say, okay, we're done here and I, I back away and then you're followed, there's another one. There's like two right there. And both of these are non-physical. Uh, they can even be non, non-verbal, uh, but still indicators of, okay, this person wants something from me and they're not gonna take no for an answer. Um, and of course, there are many incidents where, you know, you hear a victim describe how the, the, their, the crime against them transpired, and it seems to follow the same curve off very often. Um, you know, they tried to solve it early on, but, you know, the aggressor wasn't having it and kept and kept with it. Um, and that's another thing you talking about the initiative part of when you take initiative against an aggressor, most aggressors don't like that part. They would rather have you be a, a passive victim and just try to escape. And many of them don't mind pursuing you a little bit or getting you cornered so you can't run. Um, so I personally like the, the um, taking that initiative and showing that you are going to be an active participant in trying to solve this problem. And you're going to try to do it peacefully if you can, but you're also ready if that doesn't wind up going, uh, going that way that you, you aren't aren't going to back down from that aspect either. And that's just enforcing the, the boundary. Yeah, no, I think that, I think that's it really in a nutshell, isn't it? It's that the, um, for the most part, aggressive bully, whatever is looking for a victim. And we're clearly showing that that's not what we are. Move on, you know, <laughs> fundamentally that's it. Right. And that's presuming of course, that we aren't the ones being the aggressor, which we're kind of within this conversation, assuming that we are the civilized person. We are the peaceful person. We're not, we're not out there causing the trouble or, you know, getting into conflicts about arrogant over arrogance or pride or ego or anything like that. You know, a peaceful person doesn't want any part of that sort of stuff. Um, a sensible person doesn't want to get in a fight because anything can happen in a real fight. You have no idea, you know, no assurance that you're going to prevail. Um, and only a, a, a total egomaniac would usually a delusional egomaniac would think, well, I have a, you know, I'm sure that I'm going to come out on top of this. So I'll, I'll start it. Um, so 
I mean, that is, to be honest, uh, slightly off topic of what we're talking about, but that is a sort of issue that can be identified in, in somebody's early levels of training. Mm-hmm. They start to get a bit of an understanding. They start to fill their boots a little bit. They start to get a bit confident. And especially if they're a younger person, they, they will test it out. You know, it's perfectly sort of natural. Um, but it's it's making sure that's done in the right way, isn't it? But it is a trap that that, that that people can sort of fall into at the beginning. But again, as you rightly say there, it's something I tell people often is that the moment that it goes physical, right, you don't get to decide where it ends. You know, it's dancing with the devil. You know, you don't get to turn the music off. You know, it might be that that you 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 strike them and they just fall over and, and that's it. It might be that you strike them, they fall over, bang their head and die, and it ruins the rest of your life. You don't know. Right. Yeah, there's so many things that can go horribly wrong. It's to be avoided if if you can possibly do it. Um, and, I, you know, every martial artist that I've talked to, none of them would disagree with that or, or say, you know, yeah, you should you should press it and, and actually start start something where it's not needed. Like no, only a crazy person would think that way. Um, yeah, that takes us back to you know where we were talking about Jeff Thompson in the first place, and and the fence itself, and where that concept sort of came into the into the into the general populist sort of mindset, and that was that was through his original book. And when you when you look at that book and you read that book, it's absolutely full of, of violence. And he very strongly at that point advocated the strike first mentality. You know, he's he's obviously gone on this personal journey where now he, he talks at a great length about the monster that he became and and how he sees the error in all of that. But in that period of his life, at that period of time, he was a very strong advocate for this preemptive strike, for this strike first, for this do it to them before they do it to you kind of vibe, you know. Um, and I suppose that's where, again, we're back in the realms of what we should be looking at for this fence, what we should be looking at you know, it's actual genuine use, which is making those decisions. If we have to take an uncomfortable choice and initiate physical, then we want to be making sure we're doing it for what we think are the right reasons. You know, we, we, we again, it's not a knee-jerk reaction. Again, it's not a panic reaction. And we've assessed all the options and we've decided that we can't safely get away. We can't safely disengage. You know, there's a genuine risk of doing nothing at this point. So we've reached that decision, but we've done it for the right reasons that in essence is, is what it should be for isn't it i think i totally agree i mean <clears throat> and it puts into context why we train how we train the mindset that we have for for using the tools that we developed within ourselves like to me that's the strategic framework of where all of our training fits in and how it how it fits in um and then to have the, the you know the, the that problem solving mind ready to go to, to work quickly when you're faced with a dynamic situation that's that's forming pretty fast and to keep your mind calm. And when you're physically confident, then you can do that. If you're not physically confident, the mind will panic because it immediately knows it's that you're in over your head or you're going to very close to very soon to be in over your head. Um, and I guess that's where it layers to the physical, to me, it's, it layers into the physical aspect of of training and to know yourself, know your strengths, know what you can do, uh, and not be make decisions out of fear, but make them because they're smart decisions. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, and again, it's 
is probably worth sort of noting in an angle of this conversation is the, is, is, the, is the reality that A, hitting somebody isn't that easy, right? Psychologically, it's not that easy for most people. Not everyone, some people, it's fine. But when you look at a lot of people that get into fights, they're drunk, they're on drugs, they're highly emotionally charged. You know, there's normally other factors at play, right? It's not just somebody walks up to somebody and just thumps them, right? Very rare. So when we're looking at that, when, for, and for the vast majority of martial artists, as you rightly pointed out again, is we're, hopefully we're nice people. Hopefully we're not vindictive, we're not mean, we're not horrible, we don't wish harm on other people. And if we really are that way, then actually physically damaging somebody, striking somebody with intent is, harder than you would think mm -hmm. and for a lot of people it's that's the psychological leap that is really challenging to get over but by the time they've sort of stumbled towards getting over that blockade it's already done it's already over you know they are now a victim right um, and that's again that's this is all part of the the wider conversation in and around it but it's a very real one and i and i say this a lot to to my guys, hitting a pad as hard as you like is actually quite feels good. Yeah, you know, especially after a stressful day, I we enjoy it, right? It oh, feels yeah. really good. Vent, get rid of that anger, bosh, 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 right? So hitting a pad as hard as you can is okay. Hitting a real physical breathing living person as hard as you can in the face is a much more difficult challenge, especially if there's a consequence to action. Because again, if you're in a sporting arena, in a rule-based situation, yeah, there's a consequence. But normally that consequence is managed, i.e. there's a referee that will step in if it gets too much. You know, we've all agreed we're going to do this. We both train towards it. We both understand that there's a rule set that we're going to abide by. There's certain protections in place. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And once you strip all of that out of it, then it becomes a much more challenging thing, a, a much more difficult line to step over for a lot of people. And, and like I said, if you take alcohol out of it, if you take um, drugs out of it, if you take all of those outside elements out of it and you put yourself in a position where you actually have to make that decision cold, you know, maybe it's a road rage incident or whatever it might be, you know, you've got to make that, that, that decision cold, then that again is something that really needs to be looked at and you've got to be honest with yourself around how you're going to achieve that and that again is something that the fence can do because you know you're you're working on these platforms and you're giving yourself permission and you're working through all of the possibilities to to reach that that point where you can say actually i need to do this you know and that makes it easier so again it's all part of the wider game mm. yeah absolutely and uh you know it's one of those where it's true, it, we really can't do a lot of scenario training and have that be as good as learning in real life for how to, how to, how to approach it. But I think they're it, just in practicing, bringing your hands up and like with students that I have, I'll, I'll teach them if somebody approaches you and you don't have 100% trust in your safety, just let your hands come up as a reflex. And this is something you can practice every day with, with you know, you're out and about and just make it look like disguise it bring it up, you know, you, you know, maybe smooth your hair or, you know, you're looking for your keys in your pocket or something, but just make it look natural and kind of blend in. 
Um, and I think that, you know, you, that feathers into practice as well. And I've seen, you know, some martial artists, especially Aikidoists that will, okay, we're going to start our, our physical exchange and they put their hands right down by their legs. Like, well, aren't you training the exact opposite the way you'd actually want to perform if somebody did approach you? You'd want to have your hands up where you can, where you can use them or employ the fence. Um, I think that there's, there are ways we can bring this into training without having to go full on. I need to go get a job as a bouncer to get experience with it. Yeah, absolutely. Same, same as everything else, isn't it? It's context. And um, you, there's no way you can fully replicate the exact emotional side of it because to do that, you'd have to be in genuine danger. But what you can do is put, put it in a position where you can practice some of these other things in and around it, such as we discussed with regards spotting the pre-attack cues, understanding you know, how to do a dynamic risk assessment, understanding the, the justification and how we would do that, you know, and, and also the, the, the communication elements, the conflict management aspects of it, you know, understanding triggers, inhibitors, all that sort of thing, and how we would use that and play with that. And we could do all of those things without touching a pad. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, Matt, we've been going for an hour, 15 minutes here. This has been a great conversation. Uh, is there anything you'd like to wrap up with or, or any final thoughts before we uh, wrap it up? Um, not really, only than to say that for those that are listening, if by any chance they haven't um, stumbled across Jeff Thompson's work after all this time, then it's very much worth looking at, even after all these years. It's incredibly potent, even to this day. And so neither one of us are in any way doing that down <laughs> quite the opposite we're um expressing that that's where this came from kind of thing and we're and we're working with that knowledge so um yeah i'd say that really you know and as always thank you very much for allowing, allowing me to come on and having a chat always enjoy chatting with you yeah it's a pleasure every time and i would say that's great advice you know jeff has got some a uh, couple of books that he's written I know there's a bunch of videos on YouTube of him teaching this and sharing these concepts available for free. So uh, definitely hear from the horse's mouth of how he uses it, um, things to be, way, ways he employs it, <clears throat> even ways that he trains it. He will set up kind of little placement scenarios and describe things through. Uh, he's just got some great, great stuff to out there to share for everybody. And it's, it's open and available. So definitely go check it out. Um, Matt, once again, thank you very much. Uh, it's great every time we get to chat. I love it. So it's you're, you're, you're doing well and that your dojo's back open up again. Um, so that's great to hear. Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you. I always enjoy the conversations. Yep, you too. All right, take care. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this discussion. Stay tuned for more episodes. I've got some great stuff on the way very soon. In the meantime, Enjoy your training.